Well, good morning uh, again, everyone. Uh, For the rest of the summer, uh, each Sunday, we're going to read one of the Psalms of Ascents together. We started that uh, last week. Those are the Psalms that are collected from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And we call them uh, what we call them because that's what the, the superscript above each of them says. It says it is a song of ascents. No one knows uh, exactly what that means, but lots and lots of people think that uh, part of what it means is that these were psalms that were collected together for pilgrims to sing, for them to sing as they made their way to Jerusalem or after they arrived in Jerusalem for one of the, for one of the yearly festivals. They were songs for the road, songs for pilgrims making their way. So they're all pretty short, um, but this morning... We're going to read the shortest of them. Charles Spurgeon, the uh, 19th century Baptist preacher from London, said that this psalm is one of the shortest to read, but one of the longest to learn. We just sang it, and now I'll read it for us, Psalm 131. You can follow in the order of worship if you'd like, where it's printed. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this word, and uh, we believe that it has the power to do things in us and for us and all around us. So we ask that we would find that to be true in our experience this morning, that you'd meet us in this word that we've read and heard together, that we're going to talk about together and that you would lead us to the word who bears our flesh, who's seated with you right now praying for us, that you'd show us Jesus' love and you'd change us by it. And we pray this in his name, amen. Well, a few, uh, a few months ago, I placed an order through an ad that I saw on Instagram. I don't know if you have ever done that. At this point, I would suggest that you do not do that. <laughs> Uh, And I'm sure there are at least some of you here this morning who hear that. He placed an order through an ad on Instagram, and you think, wow, there are people who actually do that. Um, And I I want you to know that I have joined your team the hard way. So what I ordered was was a bird feeder. I had been in the market for this uh, particular bird feeder for a really long time. I had seen it on lots and lots of uh, reputable websites. Um, and I really liked it, and I really wanted this bird feeder, but it was really expensive. Enter the Instagram ad. Lo and behold, the very same bird feeder at about a third of the price. (laughs) Well, of course, I was suspicious when I saw this thing. When things uh, look too good to be true, they are often, most often, too good to be true, and I know that. I know that, but I clicked through anyway, and when I did... I had to blow through a host of other red flags as well. 
First of all, the name of that website was so out of pocket that I'm not even going to repeat it to you now. It's embarrassing to mention. Second, a great deal of that website was not in the English language, which made it very difficult to navigate at best. And third, when I googled the name of that website, because I was so suspicious of it, all of the results that came back said, this is suspicious. <laughs> Which would be enough for a normal person, right? It would be enough to go, don't do this, Aaron, don't do this. But you guys, it was so cheap. And I really wanted it. So I plunked down my dollars, and I commenced waiting for it to arrive, and when the package did arrive, inside was not a bird feeder, but a single silk scarf. Shockingly, none of my emails to customer service were answered. Uh, fortunately, the credit card company was on my side, even if they secretly thought, wow, this guy is a knucklehead. Can't believe he ordered this. And it was a knucklehead move. I definitely should have known better. And that is pretty much exactly who this psalm is addressed to. This psalm is a kind and gracious invitation to people who should probably know better. It's an invitation to you and me. But it is not about a bird feeder, it is about hope. It is an invitation to stop resting our hope in all of the wrong places. In particular, it is an invitation to stop resting hope in ourselves and to start resting our hope in the only one who can really hold the weight of it. That's the punchline to this whole psalm. That's the punchline to it. And if you forget everything else I say and only remember that, it's okay. This psalm says, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. This is a song about hope in God. So it starts, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. And that's a metaphor that you find uh, all over the place in Scripture. It's not exactly a tricky metaphor to work out and figure out. This is about pride. You know, there is, uh, in Proverbs 6, there's this list and maybe you know this list or you've read it or heard somebody read it. It is a list of the things that God hates. And it is a, it's a hair-raising list to read. It's an instructive list to read. You should definitely take a peek at it later this afternoon and think about it for a little bit. The stuff on the list of things that God, God hates is not exactly what everyone would expect it to be. But do you know what is first on that list? Haughty eyes, <laughs> eyes that are lifted up too high. And so this psalm moves in exactly the other direction. My eyes are not raised too high. My heart is not lifted up. The heart, you know, the heart is how the ancients would talk about uh, the seed of ourselves. It's how the ancients would talk about who we really are. And of course, even though we know all that we know about anatomy and biology, we still talk exactly like that today. That's still what we mean when we talk about our hearts. And that's why we know what this psalm is talking about. This psalm is talking about not lifting ourselves up too high. And I guess this is a good place to remind all of us that the psalms are songs. They are poetry. 
And in order to read psalms well, they have to be savored and enjoyed as poetry. Their language is poetic. And I mention that uh, because in a couple of minutes, just a few minutes later, I'm going to stand here behind this table, and I'm going to say like I do every week, lift up your hearts. (laughs) And all of you are going to say like you do every single week, we lift them up to the Lord. (laughs) And I love it when we do that. Linguistically, it's exactly the same as this psalm, but the metaphor goes in an entirely different direction. Because when we lift up our hearts at that table, when we lift up ourselves at this table, we are lifting up all that we are and all that we have in worship and in adoration and in thanks. And pride is not like that. It is the anti-thanks. It is the anti-adoration. It is the anti-worship. And church, I think that's why it's on the top of the list. That's why I think that pride is often thought of in the Christian tradition as the fountainhead of every other sins. That's why it's first on that list in Proverbs. That's why it's first in that list, uh, that formulation that we call the, the seven deadly sins. And here's why. Because to lift ourselves up in pride is on the face of it a challenge to the one who really is lifted up. The only one who is lifted up. So pride is the oldest sin in the book, really. It's the oldest and most seductive of the temptations that come our way. You can be like him. You could be like him. Remember when the serpent spit that one out? The roaring lion? You can be like him. In fact, maybe you could be better at being him than he is. And we should really know better. (laughs) But still, sometimes we really want it, and it is so cheap, and we go for it anyway. And we run around like sad little godlets trying to be the ones who are in control of everything. And we mess ourselves up and the people around us, too. And I'm sure that this goes without saying, but let me, let me say it anyway. There is no hope in that. None whatsoever. <laughs> and that's what this psalm writer had figured out, and he probably figured it out the hard way. And that's what's behind this simple and affecting expression of humility. Oh, Lord, my heart is, is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. And part of, part of all of us growing up as Christian people, if that's what we want to do, part of us maturing as Christian people, part of us walking well on this journey that we are walking on as followers behind Jesus is singing that line and, and saying it and praying it and meaning it and asking God to do whatever he wants to do to make it more and more true of us. To ask God to grow humility in people like us because that would lead to a lot of good, and it would certainly lead us a lot closer to the source of our real hope. And then uh, there's that next line in the psalm. (laughs) I do not occupy myself with things too great and marvelous for me. (laughs) And this is the line, really, if we're being honest, that uh, might stick in our craw a little bit, or it might stick there a lot. This is a line that does not go down easy. 
And the reason it doesn't go down easy is because we swim around in a culture that doesn't really value a sentiment like that. In fact, we celebrate the opposite of that sentence, sentiment. You know, what, what do you mean too great for me? <laughs> what do you mean too marvelous for me? If I went great and if I went marvelous, I'm going to have it. And if I can't really have it, then it might be just as good for people to think that I have it or that I'm trying to have it. And I don't, I don't just mean all of the stuff that we want. I don't just mean our acquisitive selves. I mean, that's part of it. Our social feeds, <laughs> the algorithms that drive them, they are the great supermarket of desire in our culture. All of the great and marvelous things that I can have, all of the great and marvelous things I'm being told that I should be. But there's also a part of us that twists something that is very good in us into something else. Every day, church, we're tempted. Every day, we're encouraged to believe that the destiny of this whole world is up to us. And that if we don't save it, nobody will. And there's something in that that's really good. You have to hear me. There's something in that that's really good because we're made to flourish as human beings when we love our neighbors. We're made to flourish as human beings when we give to our neighbors sacrificially. We're made to flourish as humans when we work for justice and when we work for good and we work for healing in the places where we are. That is part of being made in the image of God and we honor God and we enjoy him when we do those things. But all of that good gets messed up when we lift ourselves up too high in it. And we let that little godlet part of us snake its way out. And before too long, even though we never say it out loud with, with our mouths, we start to think and feel as if it's up to us to make the kingdom of heaven come on earth. And our lives get defined by all of these words that may not be really healthy for us. Expansion and acquisition and busyness and influence. We really should know better. <laughs> but still, sometimes we really want it and it's so cheap and, and we go for it anyway and we get all sweaty and we get all fidgety and anxious and judgmental and we slip, always in the end of this, we slip into either anger or despair or maybe both. So please let me say what's obvious again, there is no hope in that. There is no hope in that. That's what this song is about. It's about really good and really life-saving truth learned the hard way. And so the antidote to this, the antidote is not to dampen that good, beautiful ambition that God has put into us. That's not the antidote. The antidote is to ask God to rightly order that ambition toward the right things and to shape that ambition underneath his love and his grace and his mercy. The antidote is to ask God to help us reject this superhuman view of ourselves that we keep getting told we are because it's killing us. The antidote is to ask God to teach us contentment. What is it like to be content? And part of this church means that People like us have to take a minute and we have to think about this stuff. Why do I do what I do? <laughs> and why do I want what I want? And who do I want to be? 
Because that helps us get really specific about the stuff that we need God to weaken in us, the stuff that we need God to take away from us, the stuff that we need God to forgive us for. And church, I'm telling you the truth. When we do that, he meets us. And you know what it looks like when God meets people like us there? It looks like verse (laughs) 2. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. (laughs) That is pretty great. And I know... I know there are a bunch of you here who know exactly what that image is trying to get across. You don't need me to say a word about it, but there are others of us who do not. So let me just try to say a little, even though I'm unqualified to do it. A wean child is a child who can be at peace. A weaned child is a, is a child that can learn to love her mom, <laughs> not for what her mom can give her, but for who her mom really is. I mean, nursing a child is, is beautiful, of course. It's a source of joy. It's a source of comfort. It's a source of well-being. But if you've ever been around while it's happening, sometimes it can be a really pitched affair with all the demanding and the fidgeting and the pulling and the biting and the scratching, and then everything changes. A weaned child knows that she's okay, and that this thing that she formerly thought she could not live without didn't turn out to be indispensable after all. She can be content, and she can be at the beginning of learning new things about this one who has been the source of her life and the source and the center of everything in her life all along. They can be together in a completely new way, calmed and quiet and at peace. And that would be a great way to be, wouldn't it? And that is the point of this image. (laughs) We're like the kid and God is like the mother. And when we weaken our pride and when we work to put our pride away and when we stop aspiring to be God, and when we stop running around trying to get all the stuff we think is indispensable for our happiness, even though we should know better, and when we stop frantically trying to live out this fantasy that we have to save the world, we can rest. We can really rest. And we can genuinely love God and start enjoying Him forever. And that is precisely the place, church, to which this song has been kindly leading us all along. It has been leading us to be pilgrims who journey well with him. Pilgrims who have stopped hoping in stuff that is no hope at all and started to learn to hope in God from this time forth and forevermore. He becomes the object of all of the hope that we've got on this journey. And church, he is good for it. And he's good for it because he's shown us he's good for it. Because there was a pilgrim who went out in front of us. There was a pilgrim who walked this way already in front of you and me. There was a pilgrim who embodied this hope in God and he embodied it perfectly. And this pilgrim definitely could have made a claim to all the great and marvelous things. Believe me, they were his. 
And nobody would have argued with that. This, this pilgrim's heart could have been rightly lifted up because equality with God had been his. But he didn't grasp it. He gave it up. He humbled himself. This pilgrim was in love for us, obedient to the point of death. And that is the place where he took all our frantic attempts at playing God away from us and put them on his shoulders and bore them away. And he handed us his humility and his trust and his obedience in return. That's the good news, church. Jesus is our hope. He journeys ahead of us and he will bring all of us who follow him in faith safely home. So follow him if you haven't. Stay close to him if you have. Come back if you have wandered away. Hope in Jesus from this time forth and forevermore. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would do whatever it is that you need to do and want to do for people like us by the power of your spirit so that we who should know better can believe. <laughs> and so that we can stop hoping in all of the wrong things and stop trying to rest in things that could never give us rest. Help us to hope in what you have done for us in Jesus forever. Father, we ask that you would, you would do this so that we can grow up and mature in our faith so that we can love one another better and so that we can love this broken world in the way that you did. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.